We were um, talking yesterday about the first noble truth, remember? The second, and we learned a lot about dukkha, the truth of dukkha, the truth of its cause. Well, uh, let's just look a little bit quick to it. Remember at the end of enumerating so many forms of dukkha we create, um, we came to, to realize that the red thread through all our relationship to it is that we try not to accept it. Unconsciously we fight that what is unpleasant, what isn't comfortable, what is ugly, what is painful, all that belongs to, to Dukkha. And um, our society or our background, our culture um, has to a certain degree helped us to condition us in such a way that we uh, go along with this innate um, tendency we, we have disliking that what is um, uncomfortable and unpleasant. So we have a real strong uh, uh, amount of aversion um, developed and cultivated um, against that what we can, uh, what the Buddha calls dukkha. Well, obviously, it is not a new age appearance. It was 2,500 years ago already around that one had trouble to accept it and could not see that it is really pervasive, this suffering. It is like uh, uh, the fish um, uh, 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 in the water. It follows at our, us around. It penetrates us. <clears throat> so um, not only do we fight it, we even pretend it isn't there. And then even are we, do we have trouble or turn away vehemently from that attitude of pretending, so we really realize or feel for us safe that suffering isn't really here in our lives, that there, if, it, it, it isn't happening. And so I go on in denying uh, feeling uh, my, that what is uh, designated or named as, uh, as pain, as uh, discomfort, as unpleasant in terms of our moods and emotions, our physical sensations, um, and anything about ourselves what does not give us that what we somehow long for, want form. And that is um, what the task of the first noble truth is. That is the teaching of the Buddha, just to look what we deny. It's a calling, it's not really a teaching, it's a reminding that there is suffering in the world. And above all, since it is in the world, it is in the human heart. And since I am a human being, it's in my heart, in my mind, too. So, um, 
the fact that there is uh, this teaching given to us, seeing as a very universal and uh, teaching, and as a teaching to come to understand ourselves in this first noble truth. So it must, um, we must uh, b begin to realize we shall look at it and um, accept it. And uh, as uh, with uh, increasing practice, we come to understand that until we uh, acknowledge it deeply and look at this condition, this dukkha directly, our pursue for happiness, our seeking will always fail. It's not the way it works, seeking happiness. We got to see our situations, which we have created, and which is actually the barrier at the same time. For that, what we want, happiness. So looking at it, although it might be gruesome at some times and very hard to do so, is actually a kind act. Or from our on on our side, we open up to it. Um, and realize if we don't do that, it follows us like the shadow follows us. We cannot sh shed it, even if we're all over running away. It's okay, says Duca. You can run, but I come with you. <laughs> so <laughs> it's that simple, my dear friends, to get the basics. It is an ever-present uh, 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 situation, central to our lives, like water to a fish, as I already said. So then that is so to keep in mind about the first noble truth and the dukkha. Second is um, also is the truth of the cause of all that stuff. And um, we looked into that also um, and saw different causes. Remember the first big one was um, um, the, this attachment and craving, which is attachment, to satisfy the desire of our sensuality. We are a human being uh, endowed with six senses, so we are a sensual being. And, uh, want, uh, and, uh, and uh, there is this need always to, to, um, to satisfy these senses. They crave for better experiences, cannot ex uh, why? Because uh, we mostly conduct our lives through these or with these six senses, which brings us dukkha. It's a very, very close um, situation as biting into our own tail. So, so we cannot. Uh, um, 
place uh, the causes anywhere else, did we say, to the politicians or governments and so on, the mothers, the fathers, the grandfathers and so on. But uh, we have to uh, see the causes in ourselves. And we can uh, so... Um, and that is uh, very difficult to do, but we, it has to be done. It's also a way to understand this desiring mind, the craving mind, the never-satisfied mind, functioning through all these senses, always more to hear and better things to taste and to touch and to feel, another partner, another new house, a better boss, and so on. It goes on and on and on. And then there was that if only complex, uh, and uh, which uh, continues this, this uh, uh, um, creating the causes for our suffering. Um, that is the first big source for our suffering, <coughs> that uh, craving from the coming from the senses and um, uh, not realizing that it, it there cannot be given a halt to it for the one set one desire satisfied only uh, lets gives birth to new ones So that was the first uh, big uh, um, attachment and cause for suffering. And uh, now the second one, which is uh, the attachment, the identification with our point of views, with our opinions, remember, and uh, our values, it's the same. And uh, we have set the world aflame because of these things, holding to them, identifying and uh, believing that what I have as point of view, cultures can say that, nations have said that, they create tremendous grief, grievous uh, wars and, uh, and suffering, forms all kinds of suffering. They kill each other for it. And um, So that is um, to, to understand as a truth for, for the cause of suffering. And it is created in our own hearts. It's here where the and mind, where the opinions and the righteousness uh, arise. And uh, the values we hold and our point of views. So that uh, there were another form of suffer of the cause of suffering that was the attachment to our ideals and our self images. Very much uh, uh, suffering uh, comes from this, and our so-called pretenses and showing uh, ourselves and presenting ourselves to the world according to our ideas. Uh, 
but uh, when challenged, um, all these um, things don't hold up, and I am faced with uh, some great shocks, because I begin to understand the discrepancy of my realities, I live and uh, uh, and the ideas and the pictures I give. So another um, um, attachment, which was a source of suffering, was the attachment to the body and the identification and the forgetfulness that it does not stay forever in the way I want. The body doesn't obey at all according to my wishes. I try, however. Culture helps us how to, to dress it up and how to make it uh, um, somehow make-believe. It can stay forever young. Hmm. The identification. So we do all kinds of things. We, we, we uh, insist or are busy and caring for the best uh, foods and healthy foods and we jog it and we sleep it and we wash it and we dance it and we do all kinds with this body and just to keep it fit and to uh, bring it into uh, the range of our uh, idea and ideal but it doesn't work it doesn't hold up it gets wrinkly and let's face it the, the, the body is going downhill. <laughs> and so um, <laughs> it's a big suffering. And for old people who don't understand it, we said it is actually gruesome, very great, uh, because it's terrible to face death and to kind of sense it around without understanding why it has happened, why am I old? Hmm? So to understand that these are all causes for suffering, we all live them. And um, then um, uh, there is another attachment, and that is the greatest uh, and strongest attachment, and the biggest source for our suffering, and that is that misunderstanding about ourselves, the identification with a sense of I, here I am, and this is my opinion, and I know what's right, and you are wrong, and all of that, these uh, efforts to sustain this sense of I, which in reality, from the level of enlightenment or deep insight, does not exist. It is a collective word for this process. Now, as you sit here, see whether you could sense that and uh, here I, and you say, I sit. Now, if you stick with that word, I, and you, you, you cut every other possibility, every other thought out, how you should uh, feel yourself, or any feeling, this I stands for what you right now experience. The touch of life, the touch of breath, you notice you are thinking, you notice you are having a good time, you have feelings, and you're quite content. You notice you make some comments, or you recollect yourself in similar situation of which I talk. That all is you. So you see, where is this I? Is it, it's not independent. 
It is a process and this is the label. So somehow a misunderstanding like the sun rises or go or sets. Hmm? You would never arrive if you take a car and go to it. So, because it's a misunderstanding of the situation. The same here, find yourself. You get blue in your face, you can get stiff, and you can uh, go through several cycles of your life and die of, of um, many deaths, and you still insist there is I. Not noticing that the, you have no power over it, this, over this I. There is no one who, 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 who has the power over it. It goes its own, according to its own laws, and uh, um, yeah, um, natural laws. So um, we have to look into this and not uh, continue to pretend and to protect, uh, make efforts <coughs> to protect this sense of I. And uh, if we are blind and ignore this, and uh, it, it puts us into all directions, compels us to all kinds of ways to gratify, to gratify this sense of I, because it's very greedy, it doesn't exist, so whatever you satisfy, it cannot be satisfied. It's always superficial, and if you don't catch up, you exhaust yourself tremendously. Everything what we do, however, is resolving uh, about this. This concept, this con attachment to I, Notice maybe tomorrow or tonight um, how often we use this term and fortify this separation as though there is a separate entity. And um, I, it is just a vision. I sit, now feel it. Fall into the process, understand. It's a label. And let and open up to it. There are thoughts, there are, and they are also not the absolute truth. They are relative because they're all subject to the great law of impermanence. Oh, we wake up to so many beautiful things which are true here. And discover our delusion or our wrong ways of thinking about ourselves or discover our misunderstanding. I like that. That is actually the way we could also see uh, the problem is not uh, the, 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 the fact of dukkha. It's, um, um, the problem is not the dukkha, it's not the suffering in the world or in, uh, in myself. I belong to the world, as you know. It seems really the problem is misunderstanding. Now that is nice to know, it softens our harsh attitudes when we find ourselves fighting um, dukkha, being angry, that it, uh, life presents itself so often. We even have the sense that somehow the, the happiness and the luck 
evades us totally. Then come feelings of desertedness and loneliness, or the dukkha can uh, um, snowball very fast. So, and to this is what the Buddha refers as ignorance, this misunderstanding. But it means uh, ignoring the whole process and and the way it 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 lives and misunderstands itself. And so um, we come to see gradually and have to see that happiness which we all want cannot be born from these um, um, misunderstandings, from these ways of attachment and uh, um, ignorance. We cannot be happy by grasping under, uh, after our sense, uh, sense experiences or demands of our senses, holding on to our opinions, grasping our body, uh, grasping ourselves. It does not work um, because uh, true happiness is a sense of completion and fulfillment which reaches deep into our heart it has something to do with wonderful contentment which arises out of the understanding of what is true here. We cannot get happiness through uh, pursuing pleasure and pushing the unpleasant away. It cannot be born from grasping. It, uh, um, no matter how hard we would try, it does not work this way, bringing about happiness. And you know, we all have tried hard and had various patterns and still have pursuing happiness uh, uh, through our uh, attachments and turning away from that, what is uncomfortable, creating more and more desires and grasping for their fulfillment in all direction. And we have succeeded at times to be pleasant. But um, I would say, if we really look at it in the most pleasurable experiences, sometimes in its peak, there was an unease. True? There was suddenly an unease. There was suddenly a not trusting that situation. Or the fear came in that it will go away, and it does. Sweeter, bittersweet, isn't it, when you feel it deeply? But it is true. Something real deep is uh, there <coughs> in us which longs for something beyond everything we try bittersweet when we see it. 
And that is this longing for completion. That is that subtle touch we have. No one tells us this, but something is here not complete. And for we also know, not quite clearly, that nothing what we have done or what we may do can give us that to some extent. We, can, we somehow feel that it cannot give us what is all revealed to us, what is real happiness. So, we have to look deep into this issue and uh, understand that these attitudes by which we try to grasp uh, um, for happiness, it will not come. Grasping is painful, is identifying, wanting the world to be different wanting my experiences to be different. And you know, on, on one scale, if we think of on the social level or political, we can help a little bit, and it is possible to change a little. But that's not what we are talking about here. We are talking here about something different. We're talking uh, here about to look deeply, deeply into our being, about all, all what we obviously experience, looking here into the underlying processes where we find our desires, where we find um, uh, the need to, uh, to gratify the sensuality, where we find the ideals, it's all very subtle, nobody knows them, very deep in us. That's what we are talking about, these underlying processes of desires, of craving, of expectation, of aversion, of wanting the world other than it is. the underlying processes of judging and tension and uh, um, hoping and expecting. But these are the various things, if we engage in them and don't look and purify these and release these tendencies, <clears throat> these processes in us, um, Wisdom cannot be allowed to arise. These are the things which um, uh, cover and shadow wisdom, because wisdom comes not comes only when you see what is true. When we really look into it, it doesn't come any other way. So we have to look into these underlying processes. But our culture doesn't give us any support, and very little do we have from our friends. Um, 
it supports that and lures us more and more and urges us for the possibility to get happiness if you get as much experiences in as possible. And quickly, if we <laughs> quickly, densely pile them up, and that cannot be satisfying either. But only the one who begins to see into this process will be able to see that truth and will continue suffering. So this is what um, the, the first and the second noble truth teaches us. This is the call the Buddha says, look deeply. Stay where you live, don't go so far away. That's the call, very simple. He points to this truth, to this characteristic of life and existence. And it has the, the, um, the potential to uh, let us uh, become wise. There are two more characteristics he offers to look at, Buddha offers to look at. We have time, we will come and look at it. One we already mentioned quite often, that is, when I say notice the changes within the field of awareness, in, in the field of sensations. Watch the changing patterns hmm, that faculty is the second characteristic of existence. And this is number one, dukkha and its cause. And in this particular arrangement the Buddha gives to, for us to understand, he calls it the first noble truth, the truth of suffering and the truth of, of the cause of suffering. In another arrangement, he says, here are the characteristics of life, you have to see them. And then Dukkha is the first one of that. So, when we now uh, um, uh, look, uh, so we looked at the first and the second, and there comes, of course, the third, since we know there are four which he offers. And um, that is what the the, the, four, the third noble truth offers, it offers um, the message, really, uh, you don't need to live like that. You can uh, uh, um, cut through the ignorance. And that's what the Buddha expresses in this way. Not only the fact of suffering and its cause do I teach, but the deliverance from them message. Hmm? It's possible. He was a very happy person and as you may remember or the statues, you see the paintings and uh, the sculptures, there is always a subtle smile there. It looks like it is a first look like someone is gruesome and sad and so on. But there is a smile underneath, like light shining through that face. And some artists have beautifully allowed this to come through. That is the inner light 
That is the understanding. He has the key. He knows this being. the summit of human life, awakening. And it is not uh, cynical or somehow sarcastic uh, meant in any way. It is just uh, in a real honest way looking at our topic, the human question that leads uh, to suffer, to, to freedom and happiness. That's what we are concerned of. That's with what we started out. So, not bliss, not insight, not harmony, none of these things are the reason that I teach, does he say at another uh, place. But it is the really, uh, this alone is what I bring, release. That's I speak about, the possibility of release. Release from what? Ignorance, from grasping, from greed, from hatred, from desire from fear, from ideals, from expectations, from wrong attachments to the body, from ideas, trying to protect and to defend this non-existing I. <coughs> Freeing us for, or releasing us from the ignorance and misunderstanding about ourselves and from this I, from which we think we are separate, this me. And go this moment to yourself and see yourself in the practice. Isn't that attainable for us? Is it far away? This release from all that, it's right here. We can uh, uh, begin with experiencing it, and we already have. It is possible in the midst, midst of the ups and downs of all the waves of life, not to be pushed under, but to ride on the light, on the uh, on the waves, you know that's possible. Instead of being um, um, pushed under, ask the surface; they can tell you that it's possible to ride waves 
it is possible for the um, um, for us as human beings to ride the waves of life instead of being pushed under under these burdens and misunderstandings and to move into depression and to turn away become a helpless little pitiful creature So realize we cannot stop the ways, the ups, the downs, the chaos, the disorder, all what comes up, but we can ride the waves. And that can happen with a little walk of ten feet, right where you find yourself just beginning uh, to lament about yourself in a self-pity. Right then we can save ourselves and ride the wave. We really can come through in most of these situations in lives of waves um, with mindfulness. And it can come, and even if it's temporary, to a stop of all our squirming, of all our impatience, of all our idealizing and aversion or expectations, it can come to quiet. It can come to acceptance. A wonderful thing, a wonderful practice do we have to be able to handle with a simple tool called mindfulness our lives, the disorder, the ignorance, the dukkha and its causes. Isn't it wonderful just to know it and to have had a few tastes? And as you see me, that's always what I'm doing, to convince you of that, to try uh, to step out sometimes of the harshness of the traditional patterns here just to sit, take you in the dungeon, give you another practice to explore and to see it's possible whilst we take somebody on the hand and make a circle around ourselves or walk with another one body. This is, uh, if you want wonders of, the la- of life and mystique, this is the greatest you can have. If you want good friends and um, have a good lover, have the Dharma. Uh, Take the Dharma as your most closest company. This is actually, um, through my mind goes, the last minute I saw my teacher, uh, the last time actually. I wanted, uh, I said goodbye, or he said to me goodbye, and I forgot the attitude or the gesture of the gasho, that is the traditional Eastern greeting to each other, not shaking hands. So I somehow saw myself offering my hand, pulled it back, and at that moment 
came his hand to my nose with a finger uh, extended, touching my nose with the matter, may this be your best friend. Of course, not the nose, he meant awareness. <laughs> if you want to figure out what he meant, you see, the awareness to that breath which flows through and which opens the whole field of energy <clears throat> of our bodies. It allows us to have a wonderful base for developing awareness. So, um, back to what I said, it's available in the most tiniest parts of our practice. So it is very, very um, advisable for us or to realize a modest attitude is very helpful, not to insist, insist, I can't do it, it's too difficult, it's not my dish of tea perhaps, I never get a concentrated mind. Well, if we want too much, it is difficult. We have to go sometimes in very modest stages, like a child begins to learn walking. The first steps, it collapses. And it collapses again, and it falls again, and suddenly it goes and walks, or learning to ride the bicycle. How many times do you land on the ground? But you don't give up, and suddenly it happens. The balance, and you ride. So, and with this, uh, these modest beginnings or eff efforts we can exert, we get really temporarily to experience the stopping of our screaming, the stopping of our wanting, of our squirming and desiring, and begin uh, more and more to learn in this to accept the unpleasant and the pleasant equally, to look at both. Don't exercise attraction to one and aversion to the other. That is the way it really works. Our self-discovery, our search <coughs> of, of to happiness. No other way. Not in screaming, not in self-pity, not in wanting. Remember the Sufi expressing the attitude how to handle suffering? At the end it was, you are asked to um, uh, accept the suffering, the dukkha, enjoy, instead of self-pity. There is no dignity in that attitude. It's not a human attitude. 
is no dignity, no nobility in it, and no growing and growth possible, no evolution in our humanness. And there is no freedom in that. We really have to accept and acknowledge the first noble truth, that there is sickness and aging and death. And there are unpleasant mental states and emotions, and there are unpleasant and painful physical states and sicknesses. It is a fact. We can uh, alter a little and uh, with outside things, but it has throughout the ages not occurred yet that anyone can save themselves from this law of nature, from this uh, characteristic of life. Whatever has the nature to arise has a nature to pass away. So that's why we are here. And that means not to learn to continue our tendency to escape from all that, but just to, to realize it's no dignity in there, no sense of, um, of nobility. And it doesn't allow us to awaken and fall into our potential, which is known as nirvana or nibbana. There are initially moments of such freedom. Nibbana means really burned out. Everything what is nibbanic can burn, is burning. It means all these 84,000 to um, defilements or what does it say, inflict, if, afflictions, to name a few, are burned out, we come to still. It stops screaming, contentment, deep quiet comes in. And there can be short moments of this, lovely tastes, and we can, they are called the temporary uh, um, moments of freedom. And then there are, uh, and we fall back again and return to uh, the struggle again, to the dualistic ways and to the old tendencies. But we recollect ourselves. Once we have touched them, we will always bring effort forth to, uh, to satisfy this deep longing. For in such moments do we get a touch and a genuine conviction this is what I want, this is real happiness, it's real rest. Thing has come to a still. And then of course a total different world comes, it's like, like the sun now really comes up. Everything warm, it warms everything. Different way of life now. And then there is um, the, um, where, where it, uh, it is establishing itself, and this uh, burned-outness of all tendencies, of all grasping, 
of all um, um, desiring, where <clears throat> and that is beyond all um, what we may call me, beyond the separate I. It is all just its own um, awakening. Mind has awakened to itself. Well, we are in a very beautiful path uh, in this attempt to come to happiness. You are on safe ground, you can trust it. It is a proven way, and how to do it, and exactly uh, uh, to be guided in it, that is the Force Noble Truth about. And we have already stepped upon it with the way we are practicing. I hold close to it, and you hear um, um, the, about the four, no, four foundations of mindfulness and its application to all aspects of our lives. That's what it means. So we have already touched deeply the Force Noble Truth. It is a path of practice called the Middle Path. And it is a path of balance and openness, which does allow, which watches us and tells us not to grasp. It guides us in letting go of this, in not pushing anymore away the unpleasant or grasping frantically for the pleasant. It is, uh, and if we find, well, it is um, um, a, a way to, a safe way to real happiness, to, to genuine happiness and joy. And the nice thing is, please remind yourself, it is available this moment to, as a little crumb as a very little kiss, but we need to put effort in to somehow taste that little grain of happiness. It's possible. We have the tools and all abilities available for that. And if we really do it, <clears throat> uh, we begin to welcome all our difficulties or so-called hindrances, and uh, don't lament anymore about suffering. We see it as a truth, and we see we have created it ourselves, and we just ride those waves with the help of our awareness. And then wonderful things happen. Lot of suffering stops right here. And it does not stop because we are afraid of it now, or it shouldn't be there, um, just or because we resist it. It just falls away because we don't need it anymore. It's seen deeply. Comes from and that is the 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 way and the characteristic and uh, the beauty of the Force Noble Truth. 
it gives us a practice which is beautiful, balanced, it is not forced, and it allows us little kisses with the summit, with the highest goal. That's why it is called the middle path, the path of practice it in, that involves generosity and learning how to give up, how to let go. At the same time, it teaches us imperceptibly to assume responsibility for ourselves. And it imperceptibly, without extra force or effort, it opens our heart to greater kindness, to greater degrees of sensitivities toward ourselves, which means love or compassion or care. It involves much more than that. It involves our finest nature, our heart, we may say. It involves looking into the heart and it involves this Force Noble Truth, our practice, looking into the mind, and it involves looking into our lives and seeing the, its endless patterns we are involved in and try to push away the unpleasant and hold on to the pleasant. And we say, no, I don't need it anymore. It doesn't touch us any. We feel as we act as though we are tired of it. It falls away of itself. We no longer need it. That pretending, that reaching out, or that turning away. There, uh, is, this is a, a, a kind of famous story in the um, world of discourses, Dharma discourses, that there has been a um, monk in Thailand, sometimes he, he, that, well, let me see that later, who has uh, um, placed a sign outside of his cave with the following words, O oh joy, to discover that there is no happiness in this world. <laughs> that doesn't come from a crazy mind or from an ignorant one or confused one. It really comes from someone who sees deeply. It means that there is no lasting happiness, that there is no reliance upon our experiences, on our sight, on our taste, on our sound, on sense experiences, on our feelings and emotions and thoughts that are capable to give us happiness, that last as happiness. They always change. 
in the absence of awareness, they are powerful uh, hindrances for happiness. So these are not the things, he points out, which can give us which we crave, which can give us that completion which the deepest recesses of our heart longs for and wants. So now we begin to live quite differently. We see it, our lives in its ups and downs. It goes forward and sometimes it goes backwards again. And there is a lot of pleasure, but there is more pain. And it is okay that the things are changing that we die, that we get old, that the things we are loving change and pass away or move away, the things that we don't like sometimes stick too long around. And we say, yes, okay, as Ramdas once pointed out in that matching this, this too, oh yeah, it's okay, I take it, this too. And if you look in this during, in your life or during one course or during your time of practice into nothing else, or in the time you are here. But if you begin and allow yourself to look into the experience of grasping, of pain, of unhappiness, you will begin to understand the question of happiness. I think I close here. I wish you my blessings and great joy for this discovery and acceptance. Thank you. My end, the end of my discourse tonight. They don't hold up long, right. and well, you know the work is hard. My question is kind of what you're pointing towards. I feel like what I need more than anything is more humility and more ability to surrender. Aha! Wonderful insight. Yeah, that he's right. But genuine humility, it comes from understanding. It doesn't come from now. I want to be humble or you, then you somehow, I imagine how you would act. 
to this concept. That's a very nice insight, Theodore. You must have listened. I suppose I'm asking you to tell me how to get it. <laughs> if you talk when they laugh, like he wants to know how to get He no, he doesn't. This was no question. He said, "I think what I have to do is more humility." That was an insight from himself. You cannot learn it. You have to look into you all these things I was talking about and see how arrogant we are and how assumptions and how we move around with not knowing, with assumptions and prejudices. That brings humility. And it comes no other way than really looking into this process. And as you know, we have um, a good method we apply mindfulness to the body, to breathing, to body sensations. Mind becomes quiet here and more spacious and begins to understand what this mind, this thinking mind, cooks up and how we exhaust ourselves. And in that encounter with yourself, your mind on the level of sensations where there is no verbalization, no philosophy taking place and no arguments. You have time to see when arguments come up and questions and when you begin to understand something. You say, yeah, I'm far too arrogant. It really is, is, is in my way. You begin to understand the topic of the hindrances and why we talk about it and how powerful they are and how we transgress on them or ride with them.